Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors. And our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and ebooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the promotions or audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com/writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing! J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories. All have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's Inc. It's like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I, I'm going like, to try to make fun of either of you, and I don't know where to start. Zach, what are you doing, man? Are you back in the mountains or what? I wish I was back in the mountains. That's, that's where I'm, I'm back home. So as, as you guys can see, did, I have my did you get any writing nice done? little mountain getaway, which is really nice yeah. and got to, I, you know, didn't miss an episode. I could have easily called out, but I don't know. I've had, I've, I've had a few unexcused absences lately. So, but, uh, no, I'm back and, uh, going, I'm going Saturday. I'm going to an outdoor hockey game, which would be fun. Oh, Go, that's right. Yeah. The big, uh, the big NHL stadium series game is here Saturday. The Predators and the lightning are playing at, uh, Nissan Stadium where the Titans play. So it's, I was reading an article about today. Actually, they're having all kinds of trouble out there because it's been like 60 degrees and raining here. So they're having all kinds of trouble with keeping the rain off the ice out there and everything. So it should be pretty interesting weather conditions on Saturday for the game. So, so that's what I'm up to. Nice. So, what about you, JD? What are you up to, man? I'm, I'm sick. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm losing my voice too. So let's hope it hangs out long enough. To we do this thought thing. that you gave me COVID over the mic, but apparently I gave you COVID. No. So this is what happened. <laughs> so I'm Friday. I'm sitting on the couch watching cartoons with my daughter and she starts sneezing. And then like three minutes later, my wife walks up and shows me her phone and she goes to this gym that has a daycare like attached to the gym. So you can work out and they watch your kids and stuff while you're in there exercising. One of the mothers brought their son in. And he had COVID. So like that night she texted everybody and said, Hey, my son just text, te- tested positive for COVID. Like what kills me is like the kid was sniffling and coughing. Like she knew he was sick and like still brought him to the gym daycare, you know, so she could get her, her treadmill time in or whatever. Um, but he basically infected all the kids that were in there. Um, so by the time we figured this out, my daughter obviously had it. My wife ended up you know, like a day or two later, she tested positive and I, I haven't bothered to, to get a test or anything, but you know, I, I feel like crap. I'm pretty sure. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've got it. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, I've not, not too horrible. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I've had colds that were way worse. It's just, you know, like my voice just sounds like crap right now. And I had to cancel some interviews and, you know, we got an endless supply of contractors running through our house. I had to call all of them and tell them, you know, you're welcome to come by if you want to catch COVID. Um, um, but otherwise, you might want to put it off for a week or two. So that's that's kind of been my life for the last few days. 
You getting words? It's a in? weird thing, man. Like, um, have you guys had fevers or anything? My daughter did. Like, she got up to like one hundred three and a half or something, um, which for little kids isn't that you know that that crazy. Yeah. Um, my wife was like I think a hundred or one hundred one. So, and and I had a fever for like a half a day. Um, I had these real crazy aches, you know, like, and like, it felt different from like a normal cold. Um, you know, like you get that achy bone feeling. It sort of felt like that, but it, it felt different to me. Um, but that was pretty much it. And then like, you know, my, my throat's a little raw and just, you know, sounds, sounds weird. But I mean, yesterday was honestly my, my worst day of it. And I think, you know, yeah. today I actually feel a lot better. So I'm guessing by tomorrow or over the weekend, I'll probably be fine again. Yeah, it was, it was weird. I, I thought about this when you're talking about the woman bringing her kid to the gym. Like, uh, you know, I mean, obviously she probably shouldn't have done that, but you know, my daughter was at school and, and started having symptoms. And I mean, they took, she went to the nurse's office and she didn't have a fever. And that apparently that was the only way they were checking for COVID and they sent her back to class and yeah. she absolutely had it. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's so weird, man. Like, my my daughter bounced. She she bounced like right back. I mean, she's four, so like she yeah. had maybe a half day to you know three quarters of a day where she was just on the couch, you know, just That's didn't feel like doing anything. Yeah, yeah, but then you know, like now now she's fine and she's got all this stored up energy and she wants to play and play and play. And my wife and I are like dragging ass around the house. Like all we want to do is just lay down and you know relax. But we're going to Disney World next week, so like we were worried about catching COVID at Disney World. So I guess we you know got to take that box off before we went. Um, so <laughs> don't need to worry about it once we get there. And at least you're not feeling like I felt pretty crappy for about a week and, yeah. and I'm still coughing and I have been over it for a couple of weeks now, but I'm still have a cough and I'm just glad I've talked to people who, uh, for like weeks after had the whole brain fog thing going on. And I'm so glad I didn't get that because obviously, because of what we do, I don't want to be dealing with brain fog every day when I'm on a deadline with my editor to finish a book. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel, I think we talked about this before, like just taking Advil, you know, something simple like that. I, I feel that kind of come on. So like cold, cold medicine and stuff is brutal. Um, if I, if I do NyQuil the night before, then I'm, I'm useless, you know, until at least 11, 12 o'clock the next day. Um, so yeah, I haven't really, honestly, I haven't taken anything, um, other than I think a couple Tylenol. It's like the first day, just keep the fever down. And that, that was pretty much it. Words wise, you getting awesome. anything done? Yeah, I, I haven't really, I haven't missed a day. Um, you know, I'm still getting my, my 2,000 words a day in each morning and working on the other projects, so I haven't had any downtime yet. Well, that makes me feel good about all the time I missed. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just messing. Well, no, good it, for you, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I just, I mean, otherwise I, I would end up just sitting on the couch just thinking about how bad I feel. I might as well sit at my desk and think about how bad I feel while I'm getting some words, yeah. you know, <laughs> do it at the same time. Yeah, I, I tried a couple of days, and I mean, like I said, I think I had it worse than you did, and I just, I could not sit at the desk. Like, I tried really hard and stuff, so... But, uh, you know, I also don't have uh, as important a people knocking on my door as you would if you miss a couple of days. So there is that, too. So. You should have just gotten some of that medicinal brain fog. That would have that would have shaped you right up. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm fighting the urge to walk over to my, my crazy neighbor's house and just lick their doorknob right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to lick her in the mouth. Yeah, here, here you go. <laughs> little, little present from me to you. But no, yeah, I'm not, not going to do it. <laughs> Oh, well, be the bigger man. I got a, yeah. uh, I've been, I don't have COVID. Um, at least I don't think I do. Maybe I do. And I just don't know it, but well, I've been, uh, trying to get ready to narrate a new, uh, nonfiction book that I wrote. And, uh, it's interesting. Like I, I've, I've been looking at different options, recording studios, uh, the co-working space I belong to has like a, a, a podcast interview room, um, our library has you live near find away voices. Yeah. Find away voices. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And you know what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to record it in our closet. <laughs> really? I was, I was just going to suggest yeah. that. Like, closet is like the perfect size. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can figure out the HVAC thing, that's always the big killer. Yeah. It gets crazy hot in there. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of ways to, to rig air conditioning. Um, you know, like if you use a portable unit. I could I could actually send you some some specs on one, but I, I had a recording studio in my Florida apartment when I worked in the music biz, um, and I had a uh, like a portable air conditioner that just ran a duct into it, um, so you couldn't hear it coming on or off because that kind of happened in another room. Um, that's that's usually the, the worst part. Um, but you can buy like soundproofing stuff on Amazon. They've got tons of things you can you can get to, to soundproof that room, and you know almost everybody I know I think records in a closet. Yeah, well the the bedroom that my daughter's in has a walk-in closet. And it's just, it's two levels of clothes all the way around and it's carpeted and, and yeah. there's no HVAC in it. And it, it butts up to the external brick walls. So like I get in there, like I was doing some tests getting in there, closing the door, clapping, yelling, and it was completely dead. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to set up a microphone in here. And cause I mean, I, 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 there's a great studio nearby and, and they charge like a hundred bucks an hour. And, yeah. you know, I'm like, and that would be great, but I'm thinking like, I, I don't think I need it. Like, I think this, clo no. I think this closet will do j just fine. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is too, is you have so much experience recording and stuff that it's not like you need an engineer sitting there either doing all that stuff that they would do. No. So, and and I mean, quite honestly, audio book stuff is pretty simple. I mean, you're, you're outputting a mono MP3 file. You got to throw yeah. a couple of seconds, uh, you know, of room tone at the beginning and end, but it's the kind of thing where you can just like hit hit record and hit stop, and like there's not there's not a whole like you're not mixing multiple instruments or you're not mastering stuff. Like it's it, even if you have GarageBand or Audacity, it's pretty straightforward. If there are, if there are any narrators out there, we are not saying what you do is easy because <laughs> I, I know you're not. That I think the bigger part of it is just the time and like the fact that it is it's a performance and it's not like i mean you did it before i mean you did it with three-story methods so you i mean you know it's not exactly easy but i mean no it's it's not easy at all like it's it's mic technique is more more than anything yeah. else it, you know and it's yeah. voice modulation and and uh that's the hard part the tech the technical yeah. stuff is not hard no no, but I mean, you're not, are you, are you, um, man, I know the project you're talking about and I don't think you are, but are you on a time crunch or anything no. like that? Or see, that'll help too. If you don't have to, like, I know you did, I mean, I know you'll probably end up doing what you do with three story method where I think you record it in like two days or yeah. something just cause you, cause I know that's how you are. You're manic and you're just going to want to get it off your plate, but um, but you wouldn't have to like, so that's good too, that you have the time to set aside to do it. And all well, and stuff. it's like a writing project in that, like you don't necessarily want to stretch it. I, I don't want to stretch it out. Like I, like you get in the mindset and like you get into the book, into the story and, and you want to, you want to, you know, get it out um, in a manageable way. But like, I don't think this is something I'd want to record one file now. And then like six months later, record more. Oh, you no, know what I mean? No. So it's, it's, yeah, it's more like how much you can handle in a day. I mean, I mm -hmm. remember when I was, I had my audiobook narrator for my Dead South and MP Buy series, uh, Craig Tolfson. Uh, he goes under the name Andrew Tell for narrating. Like he was on, he was on Creator Dad, and we were talking about this. And like, I mean, the big thing is, he said he can only record like three hours a day, yeah. and then his voice is over it. So I think that's the bigger thing is like how much knowing how much your voice can take in a day. You know, yeah. you can bring the lucky plant in the closet with, <laughs> with you. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think I'll need that. Okay. <laughs> well, this is per it's perfect timing that JD's voice is shot right for our monthly Q and A episode. So, 
every single question is about traditional publishing and getting agents. I'm Nobody kidding. wants to hear from me anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. What do you guys say? We'll roll into it then. Let's answer some questions. Yeah, we got some good ones. So, um, well, let's go ahead. We will start with a uh, audio question here first that we got from a listener. So let's roll this really quick from Tom. Hey guys, it's Tom. I was curious with a businessy question, boring question, and I know you're not tax advisors, but uh, what steps do you take to try to even out your cash flow over the course of a year? Uh, I was thinking of this because I know Zach's books uh, have been doing great and uh, it's probably a big upswing. And how do you capitalize on that? And then how do you compensate uh, during the dry times? Thank you. I think we all will probably have a lot to say on this. <laughs> um, I know I do, but I want to go uh, to Jay first on this one. This is an interesting question. Uh, because there's several ways you could look at this question. Yeah, like it. I think it assumes peaks and valleys, and that's not always the case, depending on your revenue model. I think it also assumes that you're getting all your revenue from books, which most uh, that's very few and far between as far as, as authors go who are doing this full time. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, like I, I can answer it at, at, at a less specific level. So like, uh, again, we're, we are not financial advisors. So I'll tell you what I'm doing, but this is for information only. But uh, no, we, I, I think we all have a business account of some sort and, and that's where the money comes in and out. And, and, uh, and so every month you know i'm writing myself a check out of that account I, I, i'm essentially paying myself um so if you're if you're sort of starting out um one of the one of the things that most of us do is you set up a a, a business account and that separates for tax purposes that's a really good idea but it also helps you manage that cash flow and and so if um you know it's really easy to start putting stuff on your personal credit card um like buying a book cover or buying editing and you just put that on your on your credit card and you can find yourself in in trouble and and you lose sense of that cash flow if you have to write a check or if it's coming from a business account you're seeing it like you're seeing it come in and out and 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 so it allows you better control of it and that might not be as specific as an answer as tom wants but i think just having that separation is a really good first step yeah, my model is so weird, I think, compared to most authors, and we've got tons of real estate stuff going on. Um, all my writing revenue does come in through one. Uh, it originally started as an LLC. Now it's an S-Corp. Um, but everything basically comes in through there. For each business that we have, it's got its own separate credit account. Um, so we don't, you know, it, it, it sucks when I go to the store. I might have five or six different credit cards with me, but I always make sure to put it on the proper one because it's a pain in the butt to fix it later. Um, we're experimenting right now with QuickBooks. Um, only because my accountant wanted us to, to do that. Um, so we basically linked all of our, our checking and, and uh, various um, bank accounts to it. Um, the credit cards are on there too. So everything that hits up, you know, each line item, you have to code for whatever business it's supposed to go to, um, which simplifies things in the end. Um, in general, I take 10% of anything that comes in on the writer side and I put it into an advertising and marketing account. Um, the rest of the, the money goes into our, our operating account or our, our, our regular bucket. 
um, and we use that towards real estate and, and other things. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any peaks or valleys, you know, like you, you had mentioned, and I think he was kind of leaning towards that. I think a lot of it has to do with how much product you've actually got out there. Um, I, I only have, I think it's nine books that are published, but because I'm in so many different countries, you know, literally every day I've got something coming in and if, you know, it could be a check as, you know, a payment as much low as like five bucks, um, or, or it could be 50,000. Um, and a lot of that is completely out of my hands. Like I know I've got a big check coming in from um, my Spanish publisher sometime soon. I've got no clue how much that's going to be because I haven't seen any royalty statements. They only pay me twice a year. Um, but you know, like I've got so many things like that, you know, it's coming in from so many different sources at this point, like I, those peaks and valleys are gone. Um, if you only had one or two books, then that would definitely still be an issue, I think. And what did you say your routing number and checking account number was? <laughs> I, I've got that posted to the um, the, the website for, for the podcast. Okay, it'll be so. in the show notes. All right, perfect. Yeah, in the show notes. But I mean, you said something too, and, and this kind of harkens back to what I was saying a minute ago. I mean, uh, I mean, J.D., even you, who, I mean, is, is getting these really good advances and you're riding with James Patterson and stuff. Like, I mean, you still are not a hundred percent dependent on your book income. You have real estate properties and stuff, you know what I mean? And so if something happened where, you know, you couldn't ride anymore or God forbid or something, anything happened to your career, like you still would have this other revenue coming in. You know? Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I diversify as, as much as I possibly exactly. can. Um, yeah. you, know, not, you know, we've got money in the stock market. We've got money in real estate. You know, we, we, we mix it up. I mean, I honestly don't even have all my money in the U S um, you know, for, you know, some, like if you, if you're watching what's going on in the Ukraine right now, like bank accounts in the Ukraine, because a war just started, they're limited to taking out only $3,000, um, from, you know, it doesn't matter what they've got in the bank. They, they can only take out $3,000. Um, you know, like so many weird things that come out of left field, the more diversified you are in general, when it comes to finances, the, the better, I think. Exactly. And um, you know, I mean, obviously like a lot of the real estate stuff you have is like passive income, but, um, you know, I mean, w one of the things that Joanna Penn really nailed down to me and Jay, when she initially talked to us, we we're going to go full time was like have multiple streams of revenue, you know? And, and the key thing, like I take a really minimalist approach to my business and, and, and everything. And, um, I think also going back to what Jay said, you know, like try to keep, you don't want to take shortcuts and cheap out on important things. So like obviously pay for a book cover, pay for editing, you know, you're probably going to pay for a mailing list, but don't assume that you have to spend a bunch of money on this business either. Like, you know, people are always looking for like the next, the big fancy writing software or plotting software or what, like all that stuff is great, but you don't need it. Like, you know, you can, you can keep your expenses and your overhead really low with this business. Um, and, and also, you know, when my, my income stays pretty, pretty steady, to be honest with you, but there are definitely upswings, like a, a month a book comes out, I'm definitely going to make more, more money. I just uh, took an editing job. So that was like an influx of money that came in. If I have an event one month, that's going to, I mean, there's like a lot of factors, but my big thing is that I don't like when the extra money comes in, I don't look at it as extra money. Like I save it, <laughs> you know, and I, I keep my my all my all my expenses and stuff stay the same my lifestyle stays the same and i i bank it for those times where things could go could go down later um so i think i think that is uh, is a super important thing to think about what were you going to say jd um just that uh, you know like you, 
when the money comes in, you have to, you know, we have different buckets that we put it in. So I take a certain yeah. percentage that goes into marketing and another percentage goes for, towards taxes. Um, you know, when, because you're self-employed, you know, the taxes are a whole other world. You know, you, you know like I have to cut a pretty yeah. big check to Uncle Sam at the, at the end of the year. Um, so I need to make sure I've got that money put aside. Um, so you want to watch little things like that. You know, that, that's, I think that's one of the things I think that really sneaks up on, on authors. Um, and you know, the fact that you've got to pay into social security as an employer and as an employee, more or less, you're, you're paying a lot of these things, you know, two times just because you're self-employed now. Um, you know, so before you make that change, if you're, if you're still working a day job and you're thinking about becoming a full-time author, you know, maybe sit down and talk to your accountant. And if you don't have an accountant, maybe find one, um, they can help you plan a lot of this stuff in advance, you know, rather than trying to feel it out as you go. Um, you're not the first person to get there. So, you know, go get some, some real advice. That, that you, you, you remind me of the other thing I was going to say, which was like, and I don't know Tom's exact situation here, but you know, if you do have a full-time job still, and you're writing on the side, when I was, when I was doing that, I mean, I, my writing money, I kept totally separate from my personal, like I lived and paid my bills off what me, what I was making off my day job and off what my wife was making. Like we use that. And all my money from my author business came in to go towards my author business and build up a savings for that business. Um, so that once I did go full time, I already had a bunch of liquid money for that for my business that I could dip into for things I needed to pay for for my business or when things come up. Um, you know, so I, I think that I think that's a big thing, too, is like if you can do that, then do that as well. So. All right, so let's have this next question. Um, great question, by the way, Tom. Um, so this one's from Chad Boyer. Uh, all three of you have had success via your connections or reaching out to other people for collaboration or book cover blurbs. Uh, do you think the idea of a solo writer in a cabin in the woods is outdated in this hyper-connected day and age? Um, JD, since your voice is, I'll give your voice a break and go to Jay with this one first. I don't think that was ever a real thing. Like, I think that's yeah, always be been an idealized too. version of what it means to be an author. Um, hey, I was doing that last week. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the, I was having a conversation with someone, too, and someone who's outside the industry. And I said, uh, you know, you realize there are a lot of traditionally published authors who still have day jobs. Like there, there is, there's just this perception that, like, if you have an agent and you sell a manuscript or if you're you know, a successful self-published author that you can just run off into the woods and, and type and you don't have to do anything else. But I don't think that's ever been the case. And, uh, and I think too, as someone who is a, is an INTJ, I'm as introverted as they come on any sort of personality test that, that you take. Like, I think over the past at least 20 years, if not 10 years specifically, like I've understood that it's, you're not getting anywhere by yourself. You're just not. No matter how talented you are, no matter who you think you are, um, you need other people. Um, you, and whether that's uh, mentors, whether that hiring people, um, I, I just, I just don't think there's anyone who can do accomplish everything they want completely by themselves. Why, why do you guys think JD's on here talking to us every week? <laughs> he needs us. <laughs> exactly. What are your thoughts, so, J.D., on this one? First of all, this is community service. I've got another 43 hours of it, and I'm done. <laughs> um, so, 
No, I mean, I, I honestly, I know some people that actually do run off to the cabin to write their book. Um, you know, Karen Slaughter has been on the show before, and you know, I, I could probably name off a dozen other ones. Um, the, the thing is, like that work that we're doing in the afternoon, the marketing and all that other stuff. You know, like she still has to do that. So what ends up happening is she, you know, hides from it for three or four months while she's writing that book, and then when she comes back home, she's got a stack of you know things in her inbox that she's got to deal with. So it doesn't go anywhere. Um, you know, if you go back and listen to the interview with Dean Koontz, you know, he's he's been hustling like that since 1960 something. Um, you know, that's what it takes to be Dean Coots. Um, you know, so I think every author out there is, is, is doing that on, on some level or another. So you, you can run and hide long enough to write the book. Um, but when you come back, if you want to be successful in this, this industry, I think all that other work is going to be there. The publishers aren't going to, they're, they're going to pick up some of the slack when it comes to marketing. Um, but, but not enough to move the needle. Like you really need to get in there. You really need to do something different. Um, one of the things I love talking to Patterson about is his marketing ideas. You know, like he, he's constantly doing stuff out of left field that he doesn't have to do. Obviously, he's selling a lot of books, um, but for every book that comes out, he comes up with something unique. Um, and if you think I'm kidding, you know, go out there and just you know type in Dolly Parton, James Patterson right now. Just type it into Google and take a look at, you know, all the different places that book has gotten mentioned. You know, that that's him. You know, that's him sitting on his, his deck, you know, with a cup of coffee going, I you know, hey, I think I, this might work. This might work. And he's trying something different with every single one. Just the fact that he wrote that book is, is him out there marketing himself in a different way because he knew it would get, you know, get some buzz just because he's working with Dolly Parton. Um, you know, so I, everybody that's sitting on top, I think they, they, they're, they just excel. At, at that sort of thing more so than, than other people, but you do need to do it. I don't think there's any way to survive in this, this industry without it. Uh, I, I, we have a few other questions I want to get to, but I, I want to kind of sidebar really quick with you, JD. We can just take a second. Cause I'm just curious. Like, I mean, he mentioned book cover blurbs. How important is that really? I mean, I know like, and, and speaking from the traditional sense, like, I mean, I, cause I feel like in the indie circles, it's not, that I mean, getting a blurb to put on your Amazon page. I mean, unless it's a huge, huge name, is not that big of a deal. But I mean, is that still like a really big thing on the traditional side? And from yeah, your they, viewpoint, they, they beat you over the head to, to get them. Um, when you get a traditional deal, your editor will be calling you, going, you know, who do you know? Who do you know? Who do you know? I and the editor will do it too. They'll they'll reach out to a couple other people that they know to try and get them. Um, but I, I really tested this, you know, when Fourth Monkey came out because I got quite a you know decent number of blurbs, um, and I created Facebook ads with them, um, which to me was very telling because you know it had the blurb, it had that author's name, and I got to see who real people were actually reacting to. And the honest to God truth is, they didn't react to the names of the the famous authors. It was the message that was on there. Um, and I actually talk about this in one of my presentations, but you know, the, my strongest performing ad is, is from a, a woman named Maxine who is just a reviewer on Goodreads. You know, she's basically, you know, she's not anybody in, in the industry that you would recognize, but the, the statement that she made was, was just that good. And it just caused people to, to click on it. Um, you know, all that being said, James Patterson is the only one out of all the blurbs that I've gotten where his name actually did move the, the needle. Like I can see from a click through standpoint. Um, but you know, that that's it, you know, and like I've, and I've gotten them from, you know, pretty much everybody at this point that, that you can think of. Um, one of the things that I always try to do at, and I started this early on is rather than getting a blurb for a specific book, I try to get these guys to give me a blurb about my writing, you know, like something that I can use on every book moving forward. You know, this way, if I've got one of those from Dean Koontz or Stephen King or whoever, you know, I never have to bug them again, you know, but I've got a blurb that I can use you know, repetitively. And like, to me, that's a lot more efficient use of that time because, you know, Jay had mentioned, you know, I think I've, I don't know if it was on here or somewhere else, but like it's a big ask to get somebody to read a book. 
um, and you know to, to take all that time and then to give you a one you know they got to sit down after reading the book and craft something witty you know a little one sentence one liner that people are going to resonate with that's a pain in the ass like nobody wants to do that um, so in, in my world when I ask for those I try to shoot for something based on the writing rather than the book itself um, and like if you go to my website uh, jdbarker.com slash praise for JD I think is the web page um, I pretty much every, every generic blurb that I've gotten is on there so when I get a book published traditionally I just send them that link and say hey you can pick and choose from these whatever you want if there's something you, that's not there that you'd like you know let, let's talk about it shout, shout out to me and Jay's buddy uh, Dan Padavana who is a uh crushing it making six figures and still putting blur a blurb on his books that i gave him six years ago <laughs> so i you're welcome dan i know that's what's making the difference for you with your awesome thriller series you got going so um this next question is from uh i'm gonna butcher this but uh, holger neil's poll which is like i don't know if that's their name or it's all together so um but uh it seems you all work on multiple book projects at the same time uh, from time to time. How do you structure your days and working times when you work on multiple books at the same time? Uh, what works well and what didn't work well in that regard? Well, I will say for me that it doesn't work well for me to work on multiple books at a time. <laughs> but for some people in this room, uh, Jay, I don't know if you're still like that or not, but I know you uh, have traditionally over the years been a, a, a proponent for yourself of juggling multiple uh, projects at a time so you don't get bored and stuff. So you want to talk about this a little bit? Yeah, I, I like the option of switching gears and working on, on something different. I, I think it's another one of those uh, perceptions we have of what it means to be a full-time creative until you're there. <laughs> and you think like, yeah. wow, I could just sit in my desk and write for eight hours a day every day. And it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> uh, and so I, I found that uh, I would say probably two two hours maybe three is a real stretch but but a two-hour session on one project at one time is about all i can do uh and then i start losing interest or i get distracted or something and so uh i when i'm working on multiple projects what i like to do is just break them up by morning and afternoon and you know it's there's no right or wrong like it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction. i just like i like having something of focus for the first half of my day and something different as the focus for the second half and i know jd has talked about um doing that approach even with the admin work you know like doing your creative writing in the morning and then doing your your admin and your your business stuff in the afternoon so uh, i think it's just about being structured about being organized and understanding before you start your day what project you're on and and uh what you're working on at that particular time and and just keeping that straight yeah for me it's just all about when am i capable of being creative um and it, it turns out it's it's in the morning you know so whatever project you know requires the most creativity that tends to be number one on my list um, I get my two to, two to 3,000 words in that particular project, you know, and then I look at the clock, if it's 10.30 or 11, then I jump on the next one and the next one after that. Um, so the admin stuff tends to take a backseat to anything that actually requires me to, you know, be creative. Because um, that's, you know, like I can perform admin stuff, you know, right now, you know, sick, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I, I can do that because you're just moving widgets around. Um, but actually, you know, forcing words to come out of my head, like that only seems to work, like for me anyway, first thing in the morning. So that, that's when my, my first fiction project happens. Um, I can work on more than one fiction project at a time, um, providing that they're they're different in, in some way or another. 
Um, and I do have to break it up. So when I was working on two different fiction books, you know, like, um, like Dracul is a good example. I was working on that in the mornings and I would work on a, a straight up thriller in the afternoon. Um, but I had to take that break in between just to get my head outside of Victorian England and, you know, Ireland and those places and get back to Chicago, which in this case I was writing another forum K book. Um, so taking a break to, to eat lunch and stuff was enough for me to be able to do that. But it, it's tough when it's that close, you know, so like if you're doing a one fiction book, one nonfiction book, then performing admin stuff, you know, then you can pretty much break up your day without a whole lot of difficulty. But if you're trying to do a couple of creative works on, you know, back to back that that's tough. And I think it always will be. Yeah, I'm, I'm similar. I mean, I, I have a, uh, um, a three hour block in the morning from seven to 10, which is religiously mine. I mean, that's like, that's where I'm working on my creative projects. And I've uh, gotten to the point where I'm like, can pretty solidly work through that whole three hours with minimal breaks. Um, and that's really started to work for me. Um, I have, you know, my schedule's kind of weird because I have three of my days during the week are shorter because I have to go pick up my daughter from school. And then the other two on Wednesdays and Fridays are days that I can work until about five, four or five. Uh, the other days I got to stop at about two. Um, so I've actually started pushing all my admin tasks to Wednesday and Friday and primarily really Friday is when I'm doing any admin stuff. Um, and then, you know, like I said, I'm working on my books in the morning, um, trying to get out, go for a walk, do some stuff for myself after that writing block. And then, um, uh, those, I have a couple hours before I go pick up my daughter where usually I, uh, like right now I'm working on editing this, this book that I, uh, this job I got for this editing job. Um, but, uh, but, it, but that, but that slot kind of varies on what I do. Sometimes I'll go back and work on the book I'm working on or whatever, but I'm not a multiple project at a time person. I like to folk, I, I, I can do it, but I don't thrive that way. For me, it's more like I want to work on one project and take it all the way to the finish line before I, like I could start outlining a book or something, but I can't be actively drafting or editing two books at the same time. Like, um, I actually do like to outline while I'm working on another project, but, uh, that's the most I can do. I can't actively be in the midst on two books at a time. So good question. Um, we got a couple more here. We'll get to, uh, Michelle Garcia says, I know this is probably a huge topic to get into, but how would you recommend going about setting up an author website? Is there a good option for someone who doesn't want to get too involved in the IT side of things? Something that could function as a one-stop shop for creating it, hosting it, et cetera, without breaking bank. Thanks, Jay. I'll go to you first on this one. Because uh, JD's just going to say pay somebody. Well, yeah. yeah. He's naughty. I he's mean, like, yeah. I have... Yes, which is not a terrible. I mean, I, I'm I've just written a, a, a big check for a rebrand on my nonfiction yeah. side and, and had them build me a whole new website. Uh, but I but you know, to Michelle's point, like I don't I don't think you need anything super fancy when you, when you're starting out. Start start with the simplest version you can. I don't know how familiar she is with WordPress, but these days you can you can get um you know get a hosted WordPress site for a few dollars a month. Pick a theme. <laughs> And just plug and just you know drag and drop stuff into it. Like it doesn't it doesn't have to be uh, super fancy or, or anything to get you started. If if you feel like you absolutely need a web presence right now, um, there are drag and drop page. They're called page builders on WordPress um, that you can you can go and just create a single page. Or I mean, even if you if you want to even make it simpler than that, if you uh, a lot of the domain registration companies like GoDaddy. Uh, will allow you to purchase a single page website with your domain. And I think 
I just did this for one. I think it was like $30 for the year. And you get one single web page. But again, it's just drag and drop elements. So if you just want to set up a basic author bio, a link to your Amazon page, a little description here or there, you just kind of want a home. Like it's it's not that complicated. Yeah, I mean, to pay for a website, you're going to spend, you know, if you hire somebody to do the whole thing, anywhere between two to $5,000 for something decent. Um, but there are plenty, like Jay just mentioned, where you can do the drag and drop thing. Um, if you go to Wix, which is one of those, you know, it's kind of proprietary, but they've, they've got author templates, you know, so you can just, you type in author in the search box and, you know, top five to 10 different templates will come up. You know, it'll take you maybe a half hour to customize that. You know, so if you don't have the budget to, to hire somebody, I think that's a really good place to go. Um, WordPress is the same thing. There's probably a thousand templates out there at this point for authors. Um, you know, you can, you can just start with one. You find one that looks, you know, kind of like what you're, you're after, just fire it up and, and fill everything in. And, you know, once you start playing with it, you'll learn how to adjust it. You'll learn how to make changes and you'll get better at it. You know, it's like, don't let the, the fact that you're playing in WordPress, you know, intimidate you. Um, if you've never done it before, uh, it's just like anything else It gets easier and easier with time. Um, but yeah, like if you, if you want to see what a professional author website looks at or looks like, there's a company called author bites. Um, they design most of the, the websites that I know of for, you know, some of the big name authors. Um, and you know, if you, if you look at some of their clients, you're going to see that they're using a very similar template for, for every single one of them. Um, yeah, but templates is the way to go. Yeah. I mean, I think the bigger thing, you know, cause I have an author website is important, but I also think a lot of people, uh, when they get into this, I mean, they overanalyze how important it is, <laughs> you know? I mean, like I said, it's definitely important and you want it to look good and everything, but I mean, like these guys are saying, I mean, you can do it very minimal and there's really not a whole lot that you need. I mean, if you're, if you're not selling author services and doing all stuff, if you just have an author website, you really, all you need is like maybe an about me page, a, a list of your books and a place where people can sign up for your mailing list. I mean, you really, I mean, you guys agree. I mean, you really don't need much more than that. No. Maybe a no. blog if you want a blog, but even that, like, I mean, most authors aren't going to do that. So, no, I mean, the, the website is really just a, a place, you know, a real simple way for people to find you. So if they jump on Google and they type in your author name, you know, your website should be the first yeah. thing that comes up. Um, but capturing those names for a mailing list, that's huge. That's probably the, the number one reason to have a website. Uh, but beyond that, like Amazon's going to create a better website to market your books than you're ever going to be able to come up with. So you just want to get them to those places as quickly as possible to Amazon, to Barnes and Noble, um, local bookstore, whatever. Um, you know, so like anybody that I, I don't sell direct. I mean, we've talked about this like a couple weeks back. Um, I know a few authors that do and do very well with it. Um, you know, that's a whole other ball game. But for the most part, your website is, is it's almost like a bus station that people are just spending a little bit of time at. And then they're going off, you know, they're leaving it and they're going to the place where they actually buy your books. Um, so it's just a, about having a little bit of a presence out there. But that mailing list is, is probably the most important thing a website does for you. Uh, and the other thing I didn't mention was also have a contact page. Forgot to mention that. That's actually super annoying when I'm going around looking for people to interview for Creator Dad. And either they don't have a contact page at all or they just want me to go visit them on Facebook or something. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to message you on Facebook. <laughs> so you are not going to be on my podcast. So, but uh, all right. One more question here. This one's from our buddy Chris Wills from across the pond. Uh, a question for each of you. It's actually only one question, so there's not actually a question for each of us. I got to pick on Chris as much as I can. Name at least one book that has influenced some of your writing and say what you got or learned from this book. Jay. Oh, I knew you were going to start JD. with me. I meant to say JD. Okay, start with JD. I need to think about JD. that. JD, I've gone to Jay every time first. We'll go to JD and let him uh, bow out from talking the rest of the time. 
I, I don't think I have a, a single book that, you know, does that for me. I mean, I've got, I mean, you can see my bookshelf behind me, like the only books I've got on there that aren't my own. Um, I've got <laughs> That's Stephen all King. I see is J.D. Yeah, Parker like, books. <laughs> yeah, it's all, all the, when they send me stuff, I all go up there. Um, but there's a, a shelf kind of behind my back that you can't see that has a couple of books from other people that I actually read on a regular basis. Um, the bulk of those are Stephen King short stories, you know, like Nightmare and Dreamscapes and things like that, um, mainly because I'm, I'm very into character development at this point and trying to get better at it. And he's just, he's so good at doing that. You know, particularly in the short stories um, that I, I revisit those on a regular basis. I mean, if you pull any one of them off my shelf and look through it, like I, I, I highlight the uh, the paragraph or the sentence that he uses to introduce each individual character. Um, and, and I learned from that. Um, I've got Strunk and White up there as well, you know, which is a you know the only book you really need on grammar. Um, I'm still I, I'm still trying to figure out like why in school we had a, an English book that was like four inches thick every year they had a new volume of it like a totally unnecessary Strunk and White is like a quarter inch thick and it teaches you everything you need to know about grammar um, so I've got that back there too just as a reference when I run into something weird um, but that, that's pretty much it Jay yeah I, I, it depends on uh, he said one book but for me it kind of depends on what kind of writing I'm doing because I'm do I you know I do a lot of fiction and nonfiction. I would say for me, fiction-wise, um, Blake Crouch, like anything that Blake Crouch writes, I learned so much from that. He, He's an incredible writer, uh, much like Andy Weir. I think Andy Weir and Blake Crouch for me are the two that I – like when I read their stuff, I'm like, damn, I wish I could write like that. I know. <laughs> you know? The, like, I could – with the, especially with Blake, I'm like, oh, my God, like I wish I could do this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if there's anything specific I necessarily glean from it other than just sort of – soaking in that voice and like and aspiring to to bring something that's even close to that at some point um so, so for me that that's what the fiction does i think on the nonfiction side it's probably like derek sivers and seth godin um like their their ability to kind of think in different ways and and bring and look at things from a different perspective beyond just sort of the same old same old uh, I've read a lot of self-help and, uh, and and personal management books over the years, and and almost all of them sound exactly the same. They say the same things, uh, but those two guys don't. They 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 say different things in different ways, and I find that really inspirational on the nonfiction side. I'm going to answer this kind of a. I'm going to go a different route and kind of answer this in a unique way. Uh, like like you guys, I don't really have a single book that's influenced my writing. I feel like that as like all the reading I've done in my life as a collective has influenced my writing. Um, and so like, there's not really one particular book. And even though I'm, I think I'm on pace to read like 70 books this year or something like that, even though that m most of my influence from my storytelling does not come from books. <laughs> it comes from video games and movies and stuff like that. And like, I bring this up cause it's really timely because, um, the, the sequel to my favorite game just came out called Horizon Forbidden West. And I'm like so rejuvenated for storytelling right now just from playing this game. Like it's it, the story is amazing. The world is amazing. And um, so like that type of stuff actually influences me. Now, obviously not my writing specifically, but like I said, I mean, all the books I read kind of collectively influence me as a from a technical standpoint as a writer. But from a storytelling standpoint, I don't feel like books do as much for me as specifically games and then to a lesser degree, like the other media I consume, like TV shows and movies. So, all right. Well, that about wraps us up for all our questions. So uh, thank you to everybody who submitted questions this month. Excellent. All right. So, J.D., who do we got coming on the podcast next week? 
next week we've got Scott Steindorf coming on to talk about Station Eleven. He's one of the producers, um, so he's going to discuss how they got that show from you know from book form to HBO and on the screen, um, and all the hurdles they had to jump through because they they basically started production at the the start of COVID. So very fascinating story. Yes, I missed a great segue because that is my favorite book. <laughs> I missed a great segue from Chris's question. <laughs> so I'm really mad at myself now because I almost brought that book up too. So. Well, so listeners have a week to either uh, to binge the book or the show or both uh, if, if you really want to get the most out of it. Binge you don't the have book to, or read the show. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.